Joining us on Austin Hellenic Radio this morning is Yanis Kutrupis. Yanis covers the NBA as well as NCAA basketball for HoopsWorld.com, among some other endeavors. And Yanis, thank you for uh, for joining us this morning on Austin Hellenic Radio. Absolutely, man. It's, it's an honor to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. To start out, tell us a little bit about your work with HoopsWorld and your work covering the San Antonio Spurs. Well, um, th three years ago, HoopsWorld.com was uh, the only mainstream website that, that was really given to, willing to give a young writer like myself, I, I was 19 years old at the time, an opportunity. And uh, they really put a lot of faith in me, and I, and I promised them that, that I was going to make the most of the opportunity and do everything I could to, to show them that that faith wasn't misplaced. And been going strong with them for the last three years and it's been some of the greatest experiences of my life getting to talk and meet all these players who I watched and idolized growing up and uh, to be in the different events that I've been in all the San Antonio Spurs games watching a couple of nice playoff runs by them as well as uh, being in summer league and at the Chicago draft combine last year I mean uh, hoops world has uh, really just been a, a blessing for me and it, it's been an absolute honor to be a part of that as well so I, I can't say enough about the opportunity that they gave me and the experiences that, I, that I've had with them as a result of, of joining their team. It's, it's been great, and I, and I can't say thanks enough to those guys for what they've done for me. Prior to writing for Hoops World, uh, have you written at any other publications? You know, like everybody else, I, I started my own sports blog uh, my junior year in high school when when I hurt my back and, and was pretty much bedridden for that time. I, I couldn't do a whole lot, and I had always had a passion for writing, and, and basketball has always been something that I've really, really loved and enjoyed. And so just kind of uh, finding a way to, to join those two passions, uh, uh, being a sports journalist was kind of an easy decision for me. And it was at a time where I was kind of realizing that I wasn't going to be an NBA player like I was dreaming of. and, and kind of figure out where you're going to go post high school because that's when you really start to uh, to grow up and live. And so it just kind of uh, things fell into place for me from that perspective. I started writing my own sports blog. There was an AOL show uh, called Sports Blogger, Bloggers Live that really helped me in terms of uh, creating a following and giving me a big stage for my, verse, my voice to be heard. And uh, from that, that's kind of how I built on that and got on with hoops5.com and, and did a couple of things for them and applied at some other places after after my time with them had come to an end and hoops world was the only one to give me a chance and since then it's uh it, it's been all about them for me what inspired you to translate your passion for basketball into deciding to begin writing about basketball I'll tell you what, it, it was a combination of always having the ability to write and always enjoying writing. Any Anytime I was assigned a lengthy paper in school, it, it was never something that I looked at it with a, with a dreadful sense. I always uh, enjoyed that. And, and then plus loving basketball, it, it just it really became um, a, a real natural de decision for me and, and something that I really felt like I, I could enjoy and something that I was uh, – I was going to be able to to really have a good time doing it. And I joke around with everybody because uh, I, I used to work at a restaurant beforehand. And I tell everybody that the last day that I truly worked uh, was when I was busting tables at that restaurant. And, and since then, every day that I wake up and every day that I uh, get an assignment, it's just something that I'd love to do and really something that I would do even if there wasn't any type of – great income coming my way and so the fact that i do have some income coming my way because of it uh, makes it even better so it, it's really like living a dream 
Let's talk a little bit about the NBA. We're now past the halfway mark in the season, close to the All-Star game. And there's been a lot of big storylines so far this season. There's been, of course, the Heat with a big three. There's been the very strong play of the Spurs. There's been a Carmelo Anthony saga. What has stood out to you so far uh, from this season? Well, I'll tell you what. I was one of the few people that really strongly believed in the Spurs at the beginning of this season. I felt like the offseason that they had, while relatively quiet, uh, was very was solid enough, and I felt like that everybody w- was not looking at the development from within factor, and that team has grown a lot. When you look at that, they don't have any newcomer, anybody that they signed that didn't have last year who's killing it for them this year. It's DeJuan Blair playing better. It's George Hill growing. It's Richard Jefferson finding his niche in the San Antonio Spurs system. So I, I definitely felt like they had the chance to be the most formidable team in opposition of the Lakers winning the West for a fourth year in a row, but I definitely didn't think that they'd have – this kind of start where they've got a several game lead on the Lakers and it looks like they're going to run through the second half of the season here in the next 30, 40 games and hold on to home court advantage throughout the Western conference playoffs. And so that's certainly impressive. And I've also felt like the whole Carmelo Anthony saga, while we kind of saw it coming in June, didn't think that it would hit the levels that it's hitting at the same time. I'm still not really surprised now that here with about 10 or 11 days before the trade deadline that um, it's starting to come out and it's starting to become a possibility that Carmelo could stay in Denver because I always felt like that was one of Denver's best options. And I just I had a hard time believing that what with what Carmelo has around him, when you talk about a Chauncey Billups, Ty Lawson, J.R. Smith, Nene Hilario, Kenyon Martin. I mean, some really decent pieces, a head coach who he really likes and a head coach who's really committed to the Denver franchise now that he's finished with his second battle of cancer and won that successfully. I I always felt like Carmelo was maybe a little bit too eager to check out and see just how green the grass was on the other side. He almost landed in what I felt like would have been a very ugly situation for him in New Jersey where the expectations would have been far too high over the next couple of years based on what they would have had around him. But now Things have kind of settled down a little bit, and if I had to put my money anywhere right now, I would say he probably ends up staying in Denver Nugget just based on where things are right now and how there's no fantastic deal that justifies trading a superstar who now is saying that he's going to consider signing the extension if he remains a Nugget past the deadline. We talked a little bit about the Spurs, and this season they are off to their best start in franchise history. What factors have contributed to the team's big success this season? Last year, they had nine new players come into that team, and what what that really prohibited was Popovich going deeper into his playbook than he than he was used to, being able to make adjustments on the fly, being able to, to just use the full playbook. And now that he's had a group that really understands what they're trying to do, he's got, and most importantly, the big three are healthy, because if the big three isn't healthy, then the San Antonio Spurs team is not at the top of the Western Conference in the league standings right now. But, but because Monty Ginobili, who's now an all-star once again, Tony Parker should have been an all-star, and Tim Duncan uh, is still much better than a lot of people give him credit for right now. And then you got guys, the role players stepping up. George Hill has grown. Dwan Blair is a different player than he was last year. He started every game for them this year. And Gary Neal has been another typical Spurs diamond in the rough type of steal. And the thing that I make sure to point out to everybody about this team is that they still have two very talented and two very capable players who really aren't producing anything for them right now. And, and I think that they have, since they have the ability to, they could become a, a big factor for them down the line. That's rookie James Anderson, who's had a stress fracture in his foot, keeping him out for the last several weeks. And he's trying to get better in the D league right now. And Tiago splitter as well is still a player that I firmly believe when you talk about playing a seven game series, 
series against a team with three great all-star top-tier bigs like the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, you're going to need a, a guy like Tiago Splitter to come in there and give you some solid minutes. So when he finds himself and when James Anderson gets back into shape, the San Antonio Spurs team can be even better than they are right now. Let's talk a little bit about the other Texas teams as well. The uh, Mavericks had a, had a hot start, uh, but then they faced some injury troubles. First to Dirk Nowitzki, then Karan Butler out for the season. The Rockets have had uh, their ups and downs all season as well. Uh, they're battling for the number eight spot in the West. What are your thoughts on the prospects of these teams coming into the home stretch this season? Well, Dallas Mavericks, they, they've had the level of success in the regular season and even to the postseason in, in a certain extent now that it, it's really become about championship or bust. And, and for them right now, based on where they are and the loss of Karan Butler for the year, I, I think that they almost absolutely have to make a move. And, and I know that they're banking on Roddy Bobois coming back and, make, and making a big impact for them, which I think that he can. He's a very good basketball player, especially on the offensive end. Defensively, I, I think he's going to have some trouble, especially come playoff time. But uh, definitely a guy that can change the the tempo of a game and really dictate the pace with his elite level of quickness. So I, I think that the Dallas Mavericks right now aren't where they want to be because they're not a championship contending squad. And if they fall down the rankings and by some, by somehow or some way get matched up with the Spurs or the Lakers uh, in the first round, I, I think that they would be out in the first round again. Now, outside of those two teams, Dallas can probably beat anybody in the West, but ultimately you got to get through one of those two, maybe even both. If you're Dallas to win a championship like Mark Cuban and the ownership and the fan base wants to, I just don't think that they're at that level. And that's that's why I think they need to make a deal in Houston, put themselves in a big hole early on, and they've been working hard to get through that, and they've got some guys playing great basketball for them. Two guys who they were heavily depending on, Aaron Brooks and Yao Ming. Yao Ming, of course, now talked that his career may be over, and meanwhile, Aaron Brooks hasn't taking that big jump that they were hoping for him to going into a contract year. But they, they hurt themselves by putting themselves in an early hole. And right now, uh, I think that that's just a team that would be doing well by making it to the playoffs. And now there's some talk that Rick Adelman could potentially uh, be thinking about retiring and calling it a career just like Jerry Sloan did um, last week. So uh, the Rockets right now in probably the worst position out of the three Texas teams. It uh, looks like they may be heading towards the lottery unless Denver – opens up a spot by trading Carmelo Anthony at the deadline, although that doesn't look likely right now. So looks like it's going to be another lottery-bound season in Houston, and it's at no fault of Rick Adam and no fault of uh, Daryl Morey or uh, Sam Hinkie, the, the two general managers there, the general manager and the assistant. But things just haven't gone their way. In order to be successful in the NBA, while, while needing talent, and while needing good coaching, you also have to catch a lot of breaks, and you also have to be very lucky. And Houston uh, is right up there in terms of having bad luck with the Portland Trailblazers, in my opinion. And he mentioned uh, Jerry Sloan uh, resigning from the Utah Jazz. He had been the Jazz coach for the past 23 years. It took a lot of people by surprise, especially since there was talk that uh, he was going to sign another one-year extension with the Jazz. Uh, what do you feel prompted this decision by Sloan to step down at this time? I, you know, I, I really think that it was a situation of uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Jerry Sloan has said for the past eight or nine years, I believe, that he could wake up any day and just decide that, that he's done and he's ready to step away. And so it, it's very grueling for a head coach, especially a head coach with a level, level of dedication of Jerry Sloan to get through an NBA season, 82 games. And then you want to talk about all the hours that you spend in practice around there. And then Jerry being the diehard uh, guy that's full of work ethic, definitely – 
I spent a lot of time watching films, and, and so it wasn't like he really had any free time from the game of basketball for the last 23 years as, as his time as a head coach of the of the Utah Jazz. And, and he's had some family issues over the years that, that have uh, factored into this as well. And, and I think that Jerry just finally woke up, and, and maybe the conflict with, with Darren Williams at the halftime before in uh, what ended up being his last game uh, played into it as well. But overall, I, I think that Jerry was just – uh, always right there halfway out the door and, and then finally just decided, you know what, it's time. And, and unlike a lot of head coaches, uh, specifically Phil Jackson, I think Jerry saying it's time means that it's really time and, and we're not going to see him again and never won a coach of the year, never won an NBA championship. Uh, but I would be hard fought to name five head coaches who I would pick before Jerry Sloan. Absolutely. One of the best of all time. And uh, his, his, legacy and his spot in history is absolutely secure he's one of the greatest coaches to ever ever serve as a head coach at any level of sports I, th- I think it's safe to say and what he did with the Utah Jazz although he never achieved the ultimate accomplishment uh, is extremely impressive and, th- and that's a guy that I, I really feel fortunate that I had uh, an opportunity to talk to on a couple of different occasions and uh, someone who the game and the Utah Jazz specifically are really going to miss for a very very long time. Uh, another team that has had some ups and downs are the defending champions, the Lakers. They mm-hmm. lost to the Magic this past Sunday, uh, had a couple of other losses recently, including to the Celtics a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, where do you see the uh, direction the Lakers are heading in, heading into the postseason? As long as that team is healthy, Mike, I, I really just have a hard time picking anybody against them in the seven-game series, whether you're talking about the San Antonio Spurs, the Orlando Magic, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, you name them. When this Laker team is healthy, they're hard to beat. And when they play with a sense of urgency, which we haven't seen them play with yet this year, they're going to be really tough to beat because you look at that roster from top to bottom and you can't find a hole. Once Matt Barnes comes back, they're going to be even deeper at the small four position than they are right now. And Andrew Bynum has shown some really great flashes, although he hasn't made it consistent yet. But this is still a guy getting his regular season legs up under him after missing a lot of basketball, not playing from June when the Lakers won a championship all all the way until I believe it was – mid mid or late December when he finally made his way onto the court. So a guy that still has a whole lot of improvement that he's going to do. And you talk about bringing guys like Steve Blake, Matt Barnes, Shannon Browns, Lamar, Lamar Odom off of the bench. And this Laker team is just absolutely stacked and they're going to take their game to another level. Once the playoffs start, there's no doubt about it in my mind. And once they take their game to that level, not sure if anybody is going to be able to stop them. So if they're a hundred percent come playoff time, whether they're first, second, third, fourth or fifth in the Western conference, as long as they're there, they've got to be the favorites, and, and it's hard fought for me to pick anybody against them right now, even though they've had some down some downhill runs here in the uh, regular season. One team that some people felt would uh, give the Lakers a run for their money are the Miami Heat with the uh, Big Three. They had some ups and downs earlier in the season as well, uh, and they also had a loss to the uh, Celtics this past Sunday. What is your outlook for the Heat for the rest of the season and going into the playoffs? Uh, that's just a terrifying team, regardless of who you have, regardless of what you have on your roster as a whole, or who your head coach is. If you're going in a seven game oh, up against the Miami Heat in a seven game series, you got to be terrified. LeBron James in 2006 took one of the worst supporting casts I've ever seen to the NBA Finals, put that team on his back. Now he's got Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, two of the premier players at their position. And even though they're not that great outside of them, they do have some okay role players in Mike Miller. Udonis Haslam doesn't look like he's going to be helping them out at all this year, but they are 
four deep at center. Not a lot of talent there at the center position, but guys that know what they need to do, guys that can get the job done, I think, and can do the bare minimum of what they need from that position. And to me, it's really all about what's going, what they're going to get from that point guard position because every team, it seems like now, has a great point guard. And so when you're talking about going through the Eastern Conference, having to go up against Jameer Nelson and Ed Gilbert Arenas or Rajon Rondo uh, and those type of guys, now Raymond Felton with the New York Knicks, the point guard position is extremely important in the NBA today, and, and I think that the Miami Heat have to see some growth from Mario Chalmers, and, and he's been playing better basketball as of late. He took the starting position uh, away from Carlos Arroyo, and so I, I think if he can really take his game to another level and, and just play as a serviceable starter for the Miami Heat and, and make clutch shots like he did at the University of Kansas, I, I think that Heat team could, could definitely uh, win a championship in year one. And what, what people don't talk about enough is that the Heat, it, this isn't like in 2004 when the Lakers signed Carl Malone and Gary Payton and it was this year or, or, or nothing. This is a, a Heat team that's built for the long haul. LeBron, Wade, and, and Bosch are under contract for six years. So if they don't get it done here in the first year, it's not all doom and gloom for them. But fully capable in my mind, even with the guy in Eric Spolster who's taking a lot of heat, uh, that they can get the job done and, and show just how good they really are. Are there any surprises that stand out to you so far this season, either as far as team play or as far as individual play? I loved Blake Griffin coming out of uh, Oklahoma, and I, I knew that he was the, the hands-down first overall pick in the draft and knew that he was going to be a double-double machine. But if uh, if you were going to tell me that he's done what he's done up to this point and really taking the league by storm and argue, arguably becoming the best power forward that there is in the league right now, I, I would have said that even that is a little bit ambitious for someone like me who loved him and believed in him so much. So the fact that Blake Griffin is tearing it up at the level that he is uh, really says a lot to what that year off did for him and the level, level of dedication that he put forth in, in that off year. And I, I've really been impressed with him. And then at the same time, um, I, I would have to look in the Eastern Conference with the Washington Wizards. And that's a team that uh, not a lot of people were, were liking prior to the start of the season. I thought with the, the growth of Javal McGee, the addition of John Wall, and especially if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that they were going to be able to get rid of Gilbert Arenas, I really would have fell in love with the Washington Wizards. But they have not; they, they've yet to win a game on the road, or I, they may have broken that streak. I'm not positive about that. But their road record is terrible. Their overall record is is, is not very good either. And uh, that's a team that I was just really expecting a lot more from. Flip Saunders there with the Minnesota Timberwolves and with the Detroit Pistons. Uh, he's proven that he has a system that can win in this league, but uh, they just haven't taken to it very well there in Washington over the last two. Years. And then, of course, definitely thought that the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to be worse than uh, much, much worse than they've been over the past years because they lost LeBron. But never did I dream that they would have flirted with breaking the league's longest losing streak. And so really unfortunate because there's some great guys there in Cleveland. I, I love Byron Scott. And, and just from a media perspective, a real great guy to work with and to talk to. But man, things just really fell apart for them over the uh, a two, a two and a half month span. And so Really tough to watch and definitely not something that I saw coming for them. Who are your favorites to come out of each conference and to take it all this season? I still look at the teams that were there last year, and they've given me no reason to pick against them. From top to bottom, still, in my mind, uh, the best teams in the league and better than they were last year. So if the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers are healthy come postseason time, hard to pick against them, although they are going to have some tough challenges. San Antonio, the toughest one for the Lakers out west, and I, I think it's kind of a little bit of a three-way tie between the Chicago Bulls, Orlando Magic, 
and Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference for the Boston Celtics. So by no means is either team going to have an easy route to get there. It's going to be a route that's even tougher than it was last year. But I do think that they will will get get there again as long as their health is intact come postseason and it remains intact throughout the entirety of the season, uh, the postseason as well. A dark cloud that's been hanging over the NBA for the entire season is the possibility of there being a lockout this summer. Where do you think things stand at this moment? And do you feel that a labor stoppage is something that we should be ready for uh, come July? You know, come this time next week, I'm going to be much more uh, better equipped and prepared to answer that question with, with a real definite, definitive answer, because I think right now so much is up in the air, but the players and owners are going to meet during All-Star Weekend, and that's going to be uh, really vital, and that's going to be a time period that kind of dictates whether or not a lockout is as likely as a lot of people are saying it's going to be right now. I, I would say... Uh, just based on the big meeting uh, during All-Star Week and not playing right now that you can expect a lockout. Uh, who knows how long it'll be. If it does it, if it, if it's a lockout that lasts from July to September, nobody loses. Everybody gets things sorted out. And there's no NBA basketball missed, and so there's no reason to panic. But if this meeting doesn't go good and, and the lockout ends up being a, a extended, uh, it, it could be really tough for the NBA, maybe even uh, tough for them to bounce back from, and they may lose a lot of popularity. But right now, I would say 60-40 chance that a lockout doesn't happen, or that a lockout does happen right now. But if those po me these uh, meetings from this weekend coming up are positive, uh, you can switch that and say 60-40 that there's not going to be a lockout. And, that, and that's certainly what I'm hoping for. Let's take a, a quick look at the college hoops as, as well. And to start, do you have any observations, any surprises or standouts uh, that you've observed so far this season? I, I still have a hard time picking against Duke, much for the same reason of, of why I like Boston and L.A. in the NBA. you, you got to go with the defending champs until they give you a reason not to. And I, I still think even without Kyrie Irving that that Duke Blue Devils team can win a, an NCAA championship. There's no doubt about it in my mind. But when they get Kyrie Irving back, if they get Kyrie Irving back, that's still not definite. In fact, uh, I, I think a lot of people believe that he's done for the year more than believe that he's going to come back. But if he does, that, that team's going to be darn near unstoppable and absolutely the, the heavy favorites come tournament time. Now, outside of them, there's still some very good basketball teams. The Big East, as always, is loaded. And, uh, you know, there in your hometown, the the, tech, the UT Longhorns have really come on strong. I, I love the two freshmen that they have, Tristan Thompson and, and Corey Joseph. Those two guys have been primetime players, uh, potential one-and-done guys, and uh, that, that's a team that I think could absolutely beat anybody on the country on any given night as well. So it, it's um, it's it's looking good right now for, for a team like Texas and Duke, too. I, I think that they're still going to be very good as well. And, of course, you mentioned the Longhorns are currently third in the nation. They're unbeaten in uh, Big 12 action. Uh, do you see a Final Four run for the Longhorns this season? Well, they do have some young pieces that are incredibly important to them. And so uh, just based on that, you you always want to be hesitant to bet, to bet on freshmen. But uh, looking at that Longhorn team from top to bottom, I, I definitely think that they have the potential to get to the Final Four. And, and they could win two games once they get there and take home the national championship. So uh, that Longhorn team right now, I, I think you have to look at them as a top-tier team that uh, could definitely go on an extended run there late and, and take the championship. Would not surprise me at all. And, and you got to give a lot of credit to Rick Barnes who just continues to do a great job with that program, no matter how much she gets hit by the NBA draft. And who do you see making it to the Final Four this season? Who are your picks? Uh, you know what? i got to go with Duke, got to go with Texas, got to go with Ohio State. I mean, that's another team that could win it all based on uh, Jared Sellinger's dominant play inside. And then you got Will Buford there, out there on the perimeter along with some other guys in, in uh 
and Lighty who who can really score the basketball. So uh, that that uh, Ohio State Buckeye team is going to be pretty good. And then the fourth one, I I don't want to pinpoint anybody specifically because I think that the Big East right now uh, is a conference that could still be taken by anybody. And there's still a lot of critical games left there in the Big East. So for my fourth Final Four team, I'm just going to say whoever the the top gun is coming out of the Big East whenever whenever all those powerhouses get done knocking each other off in, in the rest of the regular season and the conference tournament. Now, aside from your work with Hoops World, you're also involved with uh, some radio play-by-play and also with some local sports writing uh, where you're located in Corpus Christi. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, those experiences? Well, I'll tell you what, as much as HoopsWorld.com has, has done for me, uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi has done just as much, if not more. And I cannot say enough about the athletic program there and the people there. Uh, I've never scored a point for the franchise, for the university. I've never blocked a shot. I've never scored a goal. I, I've never broken any records on the track, never done anything athletically for, related for them. And they have uh, taken such great care of me, given me every opportunity to be a big part of them. I, I'm one of the voices of Islander basketball and Islander athletics as a whole. And being able to do radio play-by-play for the women's basketball team uh, these past two years has been a, a, another great experience in my life and where I've seen so many places that I never would have been before and, and uh, truly become a real passion for mine along with riding. So I, I really love doing uh, play-by-play and uh, being people's eyes and ears when they can't be there for a, for a specific basketball game. And it's been really great to kind of have that avenue opened up for me as a potential career path. And uh, also working for the Corpus Christi Caller Times, I, I think anybody who grow, who has a passion for writing uh, wants to do something for their local newspaper. It's a paper that's been on my doorstep every day, you know, my entire life growing up here in Corpus Christi. And so now uh, for my parents and all my family and friends here in the area to see my name in the paper, uh, is great. And, and at the same time, too, uh, the articles that I write there, they don't get seen by as many people. And, and there's not as many people interested as high, in high school basketball here in Corpus Christi as there are NBA fans who check out my work at HoopsWorld.com. But uh, really a rewarding feeling to tell stories that just aren't being told otherwise, because in the NBA, there's so much media coverage. And it, it's almost like everything's talked about. No matter what you want to know, you can go find it somewhere on the net. But high school hoops, it's a little bit different. And there's a lot of kids who work hard and who are uh, having some of the best memories of their life right now in playing high school basketball. And so I'll, I'll, those are some stories that I've greatly enjoyed telling. And, and it's been uh, it's been an absolute great ride for me working for the Caller Times here in town as well. And before we wrap up, do you have any advice to share for any students who are aspiring to enter the world of sports journalism? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the first thing that I would say is that if you're you're looking to make millions and, and you're looking to break the bank, uh, this isn't the career field for you. This isn't a field that uh, that produces a lot of millionaires right now, or even people who make uh, putting people on the on the Forbes top 100 list or anything like that. That's just simply not going to happen. But if you love sports, if you love writing, and, and you love telling stories, then this is absolutely what you want to do. And it, it's it's a great feeling. Uh, getting up and going to work or having to work every day or every night and doing something that you love to do. So if you're coming into this career field, come into it for, for the love of it and don't come for the fame or the fortunes because uh, those come w- with a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication and a lot of sacrifice. And so the way that I, I tell everybody to look at things is, is you can't get caught up in chasing the dollar. You have to understand that you're going to have to uh, do some work for cheap early on and, and maybe for an extended period of time. And it's all about uh, getting that one break. And, and hard work is definitely uh, is definitely paid for. And so you, you'll definitely see benefits from it. And also, uh, you have to network yourself. You have to understand that you never know what kind of con- what 
a contact can do for you down the line and, and how randomly things can happen of just knowing the right person in, in one instance can help you find a job or maybe even a career. So you have to make sure that you make a lot of friends and keep everybody on your side and, and just continue to work hard and, and you'll definitely see good results from it. And, and as I always say, uh, good things happen to people who work hard. Finally, where can our listeners find your columns? You can find them on hoopsworld.com. I, I usually put out stuff on the weekends, and uh, anything that you see from a uh, NBA draft-related standpoint will typically be written by me. And then uh, you could also listen live online to a radio broadcast of mine at, on um, sportsradiocc.com as well as goirounders.com. And then, of course, uh, caller.com is where you can also find all of my high school work. Wonderful. Well, Yanni, thank you very much for, for joining us. Hopefully you'll be able to uh, come back and uh, be with us again sometime in the future, maybe for the postseason. And um, thanks a lot. Thanks for being with us this morning. Mike, anytime you need me, man, I'd love to do it again. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Greatly appreciate it.